0: Well, on the off chance that I haven't had the chance to meet you, uh, my name is Jason Durant, and I uh, have the honor of being the lead pastor of Dublin Bible Church. So glad that you're here today. I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning as we get started, and w- at least one of them, maybe both of them, are so simple of a question, so elementary of a question that it might almost seem a little foolish or silly for me to ask you, but what I want to do is just ask you a couple of questions. And just give you just this tiny little bit of space to listen to the answer from your own soul. All right, so listen to what your first answer is in your mind, your heart, as I ask you. And the questions are these. The first question is really simple. Are you happy? Are you happy? Second question, similar but different, is would other people say that you're a happy person? Why? Why? share with you that several years ago when I was uh, finishing up college, close to the end of college, I was a full-time college student. I was also um, dating a new young lady who would eventually become my wife, praise Jesus. Um, So I had those two things going on. I was working, uh, oftentimes full-time or more than full-time, working crazy weird hours in a t-shirt print shop. So sometimes I'd stay up 10 or 12 hours at night through the night getting a job done for the next morning. Additionally, I was having more and more opportunities to go and do music. Um, I'm not not gifted like AJ is. I just tried really hard, and, and people were convinced that I could do it for some crazy reason. And so I uh, was having the opportunity to go and lead different groups in worship at different churches, and I was doing that uh, at least three nights a week, sometimes four, uh, with different groups. I had all this stuff going on, and My buddy, a mentor in my life named Joey asked me, Hey man, you know, I've I've been noticing, we've talked about it, I think it's time. Do you want to jump in with me on this fitness thing I'm doing? And I went, yeah, let's do that, right? And so we started this journey called Body for Life. I don't even know if it's still around. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, It it obviously worked, right? Like this this body's going to work for me for life for sure, right? And body for life, at least what I knew of exercise at that point, it was pretty intense. And so adding into the mix of all these other things, I started having to do pretty serious meal prep and making sure I had just the right, everything I needed to eat all day, every day. And and there were multiple times of exercise on some of the days, at least one every day doing high-intensity workout stuff. And we took these pictures on the front end of ourselves just looking miserable, right, with our bellies hanging out. And we were going to look so much better later. And I'd been doing it all of about a week and a half or two weeks. And I remember one morning, it was early in the morning, I'd come back from my, my morning workout, was eating my egg white whatever I was having that day. And I was sitting in the recliner in the den at my parents' house, where I still lived. I was a commuter to college, and so I lived with them. And I was sitting in the recliner, my mom was getting ready, and she happened to walk through the room, and she saw me, she looked at me, and my mom and I have always been super close. She can read me really well. And she looked at me and she said, "Hey, are you okay? You good?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm fine." So okay." And she walked off, went back to her room to her bathroom. she's blow drying her hair or whatever, and I'm in there, and I'm sitting in the seat thinking, I think I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good. I'm all right. I'm telling myself, I'm fine. She came back just to ask me, stuck her head around the corner, hey, you sure you're good? You're okay. Yes, ma'am, I'm fine. I'm good. Thanks, mom. Love you. All right? she left. I was probably starting to get a little annoyed at that point. Like I said, I'm fine. I'm trying to tell myself I'm fine. I don't need you to help me know that I'm not fine, right? Finally, she came back the third time, and she said, I really don't want to bother you. I will not ask again, but are you okay? And just from the depths, like down from somewhere near my toenails that I didn't know was there, came up, and I just started blubbering, and I said, I can't take it anymore. Right? That's what I said, right? And I just started crying, man. I was absolutely distraught man i had all this good stuff in my life i was making good money i was kind of advancing with the the folks i was working with i was i was having this opportunity for an education given to me in my lap by my parents i had this girl that i was thinking might be all this stuff was going great i was getting to lead people towards jesus regularly right all this good stuff was in my life but i was absolutely miserable have you been there maybe you are there You're going, I'm trying to do all the right things. I'm trying to be the good parent, the good employee, the good boss, the good child to my parents and honor and respect them. I'm trying to do all the good things. I'm trying to disciple my kids. I'm trying to be a healthy part of a church. I'm trying to fill in the blank. I'm trying to do all of these things, and it's happening, and it's working. I've got all the right pieces fitting together. But, man, if I'm really honest deep in the core of me, this stinks, we can feel that way when we're doing all the right things. We can feel that way when we have all the right things. You ever worked really hard to, to achieve and get the promotion or the car or the house or the whatever it may be, and you have it just for a little while, and all of a sudden you start to feel like it's cool, but it's not, like everything's not great, like I thought it was going to be. You've been there. Are you happy? In moments in life when we're doing a lot of the right things, in moments in life when we don't have the thing that we thought that we wanted to have, in moments in life when we do have the thing that we just thought we had to have, are we happy? And where does our faith intersect with this idea of happiness? Does God even care if I'm happy? How much does it matter to him if, if you're happy in your life? have Seen in, in Christian circles, American Christianity, we kind of go to one or two poles with that question. One pole is, is that, that happiness is everything, and God always wants you to only be happy. And so if you're experiencing hardship, then you need to take a, a, a pill uh, of joy and just get excited, a little verse, and, and sing to yourself a song and act like everything's fine and you're always happy. It's kind of cotton candy Christianity. It's like it's always sweet and good, and it fails to acknowledge the fact that life's really hard sometimes. And our faith in that kind of happiness tends to dissipate really quickly when we taste the real strain and struggle of life. But in response to that, we push back sometimes and get all the way to the other pole, and and we kind of almost spiritualize happiness, and we talk about joy, and we say, well, yeah, you know, I'm not happy because I'm going through all this stuff, but I've got Jesus, so I've got joy. And it's like, well, what good is it to you if that joy doesn't leave you in a place that's any less miserable than you were without it? And it almost becomes superficial over on that pole, and it almost becomes silly to even think about being, quote-unquote, happy. See, the Bible uses several different words to talk about happiness, and one of them is this word joy. Right? This word that we sometimes picture in our minds as this super spiritual kind of happiness that I have in Jesus, but then it's kind of detached from the idea of being happy, and so it's like I can be miserable and have it. Use this word joy, and when the Bible talks about joy, it's my conclusion from, from studying the scriptures and best I can understanding what joy is about. Joy is not meant to be something that is complete opposite of happiness. Instead, joy is meant to be of the same essence as of what we would consider happy. It's the same essence, it just comes from a different source and has a different strength. Joy is this intense resilient happiness that's available to us in and from jesus and joy is the central theme or at least a central theme of the book of philippians it's a book we're going to study lord willing for about 15 weeks and so if you've never studied through a book of the bible many of you have if you've never done that before we haven't done that since i've been your pastor here but excited to do that We're going to aim for, Lord willing, about 15 weeks of looking at Philippians. It's going to take us a while. We're going to slow down and really dig into what Paul is is saying to us, God is saying to us through him about what this joy is and what it looks like. We'll take a three-week pause in there for Christmas and New Year's and jump back in. But we're going to spend some time in Philippians, seeing what God has to say to us about this intense, resilient happiness that's a possibility for us, that's available to us only in and from Jesus. I'm going to start Philippians one one today before we jump into the verses, just to catch you up to speed. The church at Philippi was the first church that Paul founded in Europe. Is that Philippi? He founded the church, and he moved on to in his missionary journeys and telling other people about Jesus and seeing more churches being founded. As he writes this letter back, it's a little bit different than a lot of the letters that Paul writes. It's, it's not just because they've been distracted. That's not really the deal with Philippians. It's not a letter of correction. It's more like a missionary update letter. Paul is, at the point of his writing, he's imprisoned. And Paul has a couple of helpers that help him out a lot. And one of those guys is a guy that the Philippians know well, Epaphroditus. And he's been really, really sick, close to the point of death. And so the church at Philippi is worried about Epaphroditus, who's sick. And the church at Philippi is worried about Paul, who's in prison. And Paul is going to send them this letter. To give them an update and say, here's how things are going with the sickness. Here's how things are going with the imprisonment. And ultimately, he's going to say to them, no matter how things are going with either of those things, in Jesus, you can have joy. Paul writes this letter. starts out like this. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, and deacons grace to you and peace from God our father the Lord Jesus Christ so ancient letters a little different in structure than letters that we write today when we write a letter we sign our name at the end they would sign their name at the beginning if you think about it it kind of makes a lot of sense because then you open the letter and know who you're reading from right you could take a letter that I wrote you and get to the end of it and go oh that's from Jason I got to reread this thing because now I don't I don't know about some of this stuff anymore right that guy's crazy Right? He, they say their name on the front end, and Paul goes, Hey, this is Paul, the guy who preached the gospel to you. know, I've got Timothy with me. Timothy was his understudy. He was a guy that went with him in a lot of his journeys, a guy that assisted him in his efforts to help other people hear the gospel. You can read about the way that they met in Acts chapter 16. He says, I've got Timothy with me, and the two of us are writing. We believe that it's Paul's words, and Timothy's probably mostly serving as the scribe who's writing the stuff down. All right? And he says, Listen, Paul and Timothy are saying to you, As servants of Jesus Christ, we're calling all of you together, who? All of you who are saints at Philippi. In this city named Philippi, we want all of the people who are saints in Christ Jesus to come and hear this letter together, together with the overseers and the deacons. We see in Scripture that there's two different leadership offices in the New Testament church. One is overseer, which you can use the same word to say pastor. You can use the same word to say elder Right? It's the pastors of the church. So I want them there and I want the deacons there, these people who lead the church in being kind of special ops servants. Right? They serve. They do a lot of things behind the scenes. They carry out a lot of, of physical need type of mission in the church and they don't get a lot of praise or recognition for it a lot of times. He says, I want all these people together but what I want you to see more than anything is simply this, that whether they're Paul and Timothy, an apostle and his protege, or whether they're overseers or deacons or whether they're the member of the church, he says to all of them, to all of you, you are saints. You're saints in Christ Jesus. Do you think of yourself as a saint? When you think of saint, what comes to mind? If you're like me, when I think of saint just in the culture I was growing up in and the things I was around, I tend to think of saint more like I I may have understood it from maybe a Catholic friend, right? right in in the catholic belief a saint is somebody who's Man has this special intimate knowledge of God. They know God deeply and intimately. And that's been seen through them living out this super pure life before God. And it's also seen in them being prayed to after they've died and supposedly carrying out at least two verifiable miracles. And and the leaders go and research and do all this stuff to say, did it really happen? And then eventually we get to say, this person is a saint. They're one of the special ones who's had this intimate knowledge of God. They know him well. In the whole history of humanity, on an earth that now is a little over 7 billion people in population and just compound that across years, across years, across years, in the whole history of humanity, only 10,000 people for them get to be qualified as saints. It's a pretty small crowd comparatively. He says, you gotta hit this elite status. You gotta do these elite things if you're gonna be called a saint. And I want to make sure that we hear this today that if we're understanding what God is saying to us through his word, the reality is this is that the place where they get it wrong is that it's such a selective, narrow few, but the place where they get it right is that is a very noble, honorable title. And I'm here to say to you that if you trust and follow Jesus Christ, it's a title that applies to you. Jesus doesn't regard you any longer as primarily having the identity of sinner. Your primary identity is not, hey, I'm the one who sins, I'm the one who messes up, and sometimes because I know God now, I get it right, and he likes me. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this, that if you've put your faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ alone, you are one of the ones who has the special knowledge of God. He regards you as one of those special ones. Only because of the gospel, only because of what he has done, you're in. You're in the elite group. You're in the elite care. You're in the elite acceptance. You're regarded highly by the king of the universe. You are a bunch of saints if you trust Jesus alone. That ought to do something to shake the way that we wake up and live our lives. Right? Jesus has radically and irreversibly changed the identity of those who are his followers, right? And identity, when you think about identity, that word gets kind of blurred for us in our culture. We need to understand what identity, identity is something about you that, that details you, that, that IDs you, but it's something that's unchangeable. You can't just shift a part of your identity. Identity is part of you that's who you are unchangeably. And miraculously, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, the God of the universe has supernaturally reached into our souls. And he has changed our identities. He's going, you're not anymore a sinner who tries to get it right, and every once in a while you do because there's a God who kind of likes you. Sometimes that's garbage. The gospel is you're a saint of God who sometimes still sins. But you're a saint. Do we live like that? Do we trust that? Are our hearts elevated when we think about approaching God in the morning or throughout our day to live for Him? Are we thinking, man, I'm energized and encouraged about who God is. I have joy about this walk with God, even though it's not perfect, because he thinks about me that way. So easy for us to lose sight of who we are in Christ. And as we do that, we lose sight of who he is. Anybody seen the movie Sing 2? Anybody? (laughs) Anybody? I don't know if you know the movie Sing and Sing 2, and if you're going, hey, those movies are horrible, then that's fine. They're not for you, but, man, at our house, we've seen them more than a couple times, right? Pretty sure we own both. Pretty sure we've watched them back-to-back at some point when we were sick and needed something to do. Sing 2, there's this character who, by the way, is voiced by the lead singer of the band U2, Bono, by the way, which is pretty stinking cool that you got that guy, the leather, the black, the stuff, U2 singing. You got him to be the voice of, like, a cartoon guy, right? But he's this lion, he's this world-renowned singer named Clay Tankersley in the movie. uh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I apparently said the wrong name. Um, Okay, that's my wife correct. You can tell we like singing around our house, right? (laughs) Uh, a million percent right now just being transparent. I'm not sure you're right, but I'm going to go with it. So Clay Calloway, <laughs> all right? Um, Clay, let's go with Clay, all right? So the, he's, he's this guy who's a world-renowned singer, right? He's well-known. He's had hit after hit after hit, kind of like the real-life guy who voices him. But he's been through tragedy in his life. He's lost his wife. And he's lost, therefore, his connection to and love for music, and he no longer wants to hear any of the songs that he's written before, any of the songs that were kind of birthed out of his soul. He's grown cold and detached from all that kind of stuff. And in the movie, these, these other characters are trying to drag him in and bring him into headline and be the, the big guy for this big show that they're putting on. And if you've seen it, you remember, he fights it and he resists it and he won't do it. He's like, no, nah, I'm not coming back, I'm not going to do it. And then eventually he goes okay I'll try and he tries and he gets close and he's kind of at the moment standing backstage and there's a couple different times where he just about decides right before the show that he's not going to do it he's he's given up but then eventually he steps out on the stage and he absolutely rocks it right he was like Shane Preston on steroids right he was up there just like <laughs> bam right Man, he's rocking it, and everybody's into it, and it's going good. And we saw it in the theater, and I might have been bouncing around in my chair a little bit, even in the theater as a grown man. It's just a good moment because the guy all of a sudden took faith to remember who he really was. And he stepped into who he really was. And when we live as who Jesus has made us through the cross and resurrection, when we live as who we really are and who our God created us to be, beautiful, broken, but beautiful things happen. And you, if you're a follower of Jesus, are a saint. Today, I pray that you would find some happiness in nothing more than just being reminded or maybe remembering, hearing maybe for the first time that you're a saint in the eyes of God. Man, we could wrap it up today. There's a lot of joy to be had just in that. He says, listen, to the saints who are there together with the overseers and the deacons who play these crucial roles, I want them there with you. I want us all together to hear this letter. He says, I write it to you. I offer you grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a pretty standard intro line, a pretty standard greeting in the letters of the Apostle Paul, grace and peace from God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's kind of like when we say I love you to somebody that we talk to all the time, like my wife will say, all right, love you. Right? It's this thing that we kind of breeze past because it's common, but it's also really a big deal. That there would be grace, ill-deserved favor from God for you in your life. There would be peace, a sense of shalom, and having everything that I need to flourish in my life. Grace and peace to you from God and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes, I know they feel that way about you because you're his saints. (laughs) Let's pick back up, verse 3. It says, I thank my God. And all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. Listen to this. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul's writing this letter to this church. It becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly that he he really, really loves them. <laughs> He's really, really thankful for them. Do you see the strength of his gratitude for them, the strength of his affection? He says, listen, every time I remember you and every remembrance of of mine for you all. Every time I remember you, I remember you with joy. I thank my God every time I think about you. Just, just think about that for just a second. Like the person that you love the most on the planet, the person that loves you the most on the planet, can we get really honest up in here? Can you honestly say if that's your spouse or your mom or your dad or your best friend or whoever, can you honestly say, would you be able to look at them and go, hey, you know what? Every single time I think of you, my first thought is thank you. Can you say that? <laughs> Y'all must be a bunch of holy people because y'all are looking at me like, yeah, of course, right? But, like, I'm just saying I know that I'm a pretty good husband, right? But I also know that I probably also give my wife some reasons to have a little temptation from time to time, like, once every six months or so, right, to have a first thought about me that is not like, thank you, God, for that guy, right? I know there are moments where it would be really tempting to be like, I want to choke him, right? 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 But he's saying, listen, every single time that I think of you, every time I remember you, I do that with gratitude, with thankfulness. I'm glad that I know you. He says, listen, I yearn for you. I'm far away from you in prison, but I would love to come to you. I yearn for you. not just." He didn't just say, hey, I'd really like to come. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, I'm trying to get there and squeeze it in the schedule. He goes, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. How Much affection does Christ Jesus have for his people so much that he left perfect, eternal heaven where angels sing his name and bow down to him and everything's all about him. He willingly chose to leave that to come to his people. That's the kind of affection that Jesus has. And Paul goes, I love you, I, I long for you, I want that kind of relationship with you. I love you. And I'm thankful for you when I pray. I'm offering prayers of thankfulness to God. Why does Paul have these feelings about these folks? He says, listen, even from the first day, from the moment when you guys trusted Jesus and we were together there and the church kind of started to be the church, even since then you've been partners with me in the gospel. We know from reading the rest of the letter of Philippians, they've been partners by way of prayer. They've been partners by way of financial support, physical needs. He goes, listen, you have cared about me. And there's another reason. He says, I'm thankful too, because I have no doubt that what God has started in you, verse 6, he's going to bring to completion. Paul's going, listen, when I look at your life, I am encouraged to remember and trust more fully the gospel because I see God's work in your life. I see God doing stuff in you. And when I think about you, I'm prompted to be thankful because you have partnered with me. You have helped me in this mission. Relationships revolving around Jesus and his mission multiply personal joy. When we have relationships that Jesus as a person and his mission and what he's doing is the center and everything else revolves around that, doesn't mean that that he's the only thing we ever mention, that we never go have fun doing something. It doesn't mean that, but it means everything else is positioned around that. When we have relationships that are revolving around Jesus and his mission, our personal joy all of a sudden is multiplied. Now, thinking through this, man, I'm just being honest with you about how I see us as a church. I think we love each other. (laughs) I think we love each other a lot. We know each other pretty well, most of us, many of us. The question for us, and I'm not saying that the answer is negative in many cases, but I think the challenge for us is this, is that we have the, the relationships and we have the depth of knowledge in the relationships, but are the relationships truly spinning and revolving around the axis that is Jesus? It's so easy sometimes to, to be nice to people, be kind to people, encourage people, but then also kind of not get into that last two percent, which is I'm actually going to talk about Jesus to you. Because that gets awkward and that gets, well, if I say something weird, that won't be good, or if I say the wrong thing, or whatever. We we don't do that, but what if our relationships truly revolved around Christ? When I was in high school, I was a little bit of a jerk in a lot of ways. In some ways I was a lot of bit of a jerk in a lot of ways. One of those was there was a brief stretch there where I was dating two girls uh, from my school at the same time. And uh, if my sons ever do that, I'm going to thump you in the face hard. You're never going to do that, right? Um, I'm a big believer in dating is about figuring out who you're going to marry one day and you're not going to marry two ladies. So what in the world are you thinking, son? That's what somebody, that's what me is saying to me back then, right? But I was at that point, I was dating two girls and there was this guy named Charles and Charles was just, man, he was just like just that gnat right that would just stay in your face like Charles just just our personality types clash we didn't necessarily get along very well he was part of my same church and youth group and so we had plenty of opportunities to get on each other's nerves mm-hmm. man the, kind of the pinnacle of me wanting to just go after Charles and I'm I'm a lover not a fighter right and so I don't want to fight often but there was a moment where I thought about it the pinnacle I'm on a double date with one of these girls and and she's sitting here next to me in the pastor's seat the other couple's in the back seat and we're driving through town And Charles pulls up next to us, and we're like, hey, there's Charles from school. And Charles goes, roll your window down. And we roll down the window, and the girl that's in the car with me, her name was Jana, and he goes, hey, guys, what's up? And we're like, going to the movies, and he's like, oh, Jason, where's Tiffany? The other girl. And then he just slams on the the gas and leaves. And then I'm just sitting there having to deal with that, and I'm just like, well, that was awkward. (laughs) Like, what do you say then, right? I just could not stand this dude, if I'm just being honest. I just did not like Charles. And then around the middle of my junior year at high school, God really did a refining work in my faith. It was a a big, clear moment of like, man, it's time to get serious about knowing and following Jesus personally for yourself again. It was funny, because as I did that, Charles, this guy that I used to just couldn't stand, he actually became a friend. For a while, he was a really close friend. a guy that, in high school, right, this is not necessarily the norm, but in high school, we were two high school dudes who would sit there and pray together. Two high school guys who would hold each other accountable about different things in our lives and try to help each other towards faithfulness. And it ends up that we were so very different in so many ways with his little, man, he was just so like mental level smart and I was so, you know, me. And, and like, but, but we were so, but like somehow when it became about Jesus, man, we just gelled and really, really liked each other and really, really benefited each other. Charles now is a Bible translator. With a ministry. He goes to places where they don't even know get to know about the gospel because they don't have a Bible they could understand if they tried. And he gets to go and use his his big brain to try to translate words and learn languages and all this stuff. And it's just like, man, that's that's exactly what he should be doing. It's so awesome and cool to see that. See, we we had a relationship beforehand, but it's when the relationship started being about Jesus that all of a sudden people who were very different and people who used to have animosity towards each other, now they were rolling in the same direction and all of a sudden what's going on in Charles's life can multiply the joy in my life that happened over and over again. Who are the people in our lives that we know and love but that we also don't talk to a whole lot about Jesus? I don't say that to you as a shamer that you would go walk out the door with your head hung low. I say that to you as an opportunity. How awesome could it be for you to get to, to really dig in and talk to people about Jesus? Maybe you're asking them, hey man, how are things going in your faith? What are you struggling to believe right now? Maybe you're asking them, hey, man, what do you feel like God's teaching you? Hey, where are you reading in Scripture right now? Where's, how's that going for you? Or maybe it's you starting conversations by sharing yourself. Man, I'm really struggling with this. I read this in the Bible. I don't necessarily understand it. I'm really struggling with this. I understand it really clearly. I just don't like to do it, but God told me to. <laughs> what? Hey, my crazy pastor said this the other day about God. What do you think about that? Just finding small, simple ways to go, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be satisfied anymore for the bulk of the relationships in my life to be good relationships, but that miss the God component that is supposed to be the center. Because when we have relationships that revolve around Jesus, we have multiplied personal joy. Now, how and what does that look like? Briefly, verse 9. Paul says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul has said, I appreciate you. I'm thankful for you. He said, I pray for you. But now we get a peek a little bit further behind the curtain. What is Paul aiming for in the lives of the Philippians? What is Paul praying for and asking God to do in them? He says, listen, first and foremost, I want you to have love that is just constantly uh, expanding. I want you to have love that's folding over on top of itself to grow more and more. I want you to have that. He says, listen, you have love. I'm not saying you don't have love, but I want you to have love that's abounding. Abounding is kind of a a big word anyway. It means there's more than that can fit in the container. You're abounding. He goes, I don't want you to just have love that's abounding. I want you to have love that's abounding more and more. I want you to be a people whose lives are so marked by love because you're so happy in Jesus. You're so happy to be considered a saint instead of a sinner because of him. You're so happy to have these other people around you that are helping you grow in your own faith and multiplying your personal joy. You're so wrapped into that, that love is just growing out of you. It's expanding out of you more and more. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge. So in a a right awareness of truth. And discernment. So a right plan for applying truth. Right, I know the right things is knowledge. Discernment is I know how to Think through and use that truth actively in my life, knowledge and discernment, so that you may what? So that you may approve what is excellent, so that you may assess life, see in the way that Jesus sees it, the way that God describes it in his word. And you may make decisions that honor and glorify him because he is going to see you as pure and blameless in Jesus always. But if he's going to regard you that way and if he's going to see you that way, then don't you want your life to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Don't you want your life not just to have the title of righteousness because Jesus has placed his righteousness on you, but don't you also want your life to have the realities of that righteousness growing more and more and being lived out more and more from your life? Paul says, listen, I'm praying for you, but I'm not just praying little happy prayers about keep them safe, Lord. It's a good prayer to pray, by the way. Not bashing that prayer. I pray that prayer over my kids most often. (laughs) Kids are at that age where we're dropping them off places sometimes. That's a whole new world, right? (laughs) Right? Driving away like, Lord, I'm not there. He uh, you needs you to take care of them. But he's saying, I'm not just praying prayers for protection. I'm not just praying prayers of keep them safe while they travel. That's another good one. right? He says, I'm praying prayers of intentionality for them. I'm praying that they would grow up in Christ, that there'd be more love, more knowledge, more discernment in their life so that the fruit of righteousness may grow up in them. Faithful friendships help us to live out the new identity that Jesus has given us. A faithful friendship doesn't just stand by you indifferently and hope that maybe it happens in your life. A faithful friendship seeks to put the right things in your life to help you move forward and grow forward and progress in Christ. Why is Paul so joyful about these Philippians? Because they have actively been engaged in his moving forward and growing in the call of God on his life. Why should they take great fulfillment and joy from this relationship with the apostle Paul because he's saying to them I support you I love you you're doing great now I'm praying for you to continue growing and doing more when we have faithful friendships they will help us to live out the new identity Jesus has given us I had a friend many years ago this thought hadn't thought about this in forever but I thought about it the other day I had a friend that, that had really enjoyed painting had had some painting classes really enjoyed that and yet that had been stifled in them uh, I think by their parents or, or schedule or whatever. It had been stifled and kind of, she'd be kind of dissuaded from that. And one Christmas I was just prompted and I went and spent way more money than I probably should have, but went and bought an easel and some canvases and, and all the stuff you would need to at least just get started back. The, the friend had never told me that they necessarily wanted to do it again, but I had just sensed, like, man, it seems like there a lot of passion there about that. Seems like some sadness here that's not there. So for Christmas, gave him that. Life happened as it often does, and we're not close friends now. never really talked to him anymore, but you know what's really super cool? (laughs) To God's glory. That that friend now makes a living by doing guided paintings. (laughs) Sitting on the sands of the ocean that do guided paint parties, and they're all spiritually motivated, and they all point towards Christ, and they're constantly trying to tell other people about Jesus through what they do. There's been, if I'm just being honest, can I be honest? I hope y'all can handle honest, right? There's been several times since I haven't been very close to that person anymore that I've thought, man, I wish I wouldn't have spent that much money. <laughs> I could have played some golf. <laughs> yeah. Lots of stuff. Hey, hey. <laughs> Lots of stuff I could have done, right? <laughs> Lots of stuff I could have done with probably three or $400. Several times I've thought that. But when I saw, hey, that's actually their life now. That's their career is. They're they're sharing motivational, scriptural thoughts. They're telling people about Jesus as they're teaching people how to paint. They're using the art that God put in them. It was like, dude, that's so cool that God let me get to be a part of helping that happen. Now, every story is not going to be so clear cut. But who are the people that God has put in your life that you can help draw them forward into who God has called them to be? Who are the people that you can speak to and go, I see this in you? God's made you this way. Who are the people that you can help resource with the things they might need or the opportunities around them to help them grow and develop, to be exactly who God has made them to be? Could there be many more things that are more fulfilling on, on the face of the earth than that? There's joy for us today because Jesus has given us a new identity and he has placed us around each other and to be these, these broadcasting microphones of that joy be these examples with skin on of that kind of joy in our lives. We get to experience that and enjoy that and we also get to be that for other people. Where is God leading our hearts to do that more? Are you happy? If your answer to that is yes, could you stand to be more happy? Is it always easy to be happy? No. Philippians is not going to tell us that. Is happiness... Always only the soul emotion that we'll experience? Absolutely not. Sometimes we're happy and we're distraught. Same time. Weird stuff going on. We're going to talk about it. But there is a happiness that is resilient and unbreakable available to you in Jesus Christ and in following Him faithfully to be part of His people. What does that look like for you? I'm going to ask God to show us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people who were real people, who took real steps and stepped on rocks and who sweat and who had hard days at work back in Philippi a long, long time ago, whose lives we get to learn from. I thank you for the way that they loved each other across common barriers, that they were very different in many ways and that they loved each other so much because they loved you, because they believed in how you would love them. God, I ask that you would just continue to move us more and more in that same direction. God, I pray and ask that for Dublin Bible Church, we would be a people in whom your love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. God, I pray that you would, right now by your spirit, give us active steps to take. God, we all have next faith steps always. I pray that you would give us the next step to take. Maybe that's in going and saying to someone that we need them to encourage us. We need them to multiply joy in us. Whatever it is, God, would you show us? And would you give us courage to be active in our faith? The way that we can help draw out, pronounce the new identity you've given in someone else's life or the way that we need it from someone else. Would you lead us in that, God, and lead us to respond faithfully? Mark it in our minds, mark it on our hearts, God, that we would not be able to walk away from it. And this week, let us see you and let us be aware of you in new, strong ways as we walk forward in what you've called us to. We love you, Jesus, and we desire very much that we would love you much, much more. We ask that you would do that in our hearts because you're worth it. You're awesome. We praise you, Jesus. It's in your name we ask. Amen.